Hey, Wonderfuls, welcome to episode 319 of the podcast with my wonderful guest, Amber Nash. I'm staring at my puppy, Jasper, right now because I can just feel that he is going to go over to Whitley and try to get her to engage. So I'm making meaningful eye contact with him as he bonks into things. You want to sniff this? Anything? Okay, no, he's really interested in trying to get her to play. Uh, I'm just trying to get through this intro before he has a chance to do that and ruin this precious, precious intro. So... All that being said, I'm very, very excited to, now he's licking my face. Guys, this is the worst intro ever, and yet I find that I can't stop recording. Uh, I am very excited for those of you who participated in Max Fun Drive in particular. This is a little note to those of you who uh, will be getting your fortune teller slash cootie catcher questions added to future episodes, as well as those of you who joined at the $20 level Um who will be getting a video chat with me um, doing a MASH game. So that's going to be awesome. You'll get an email from Max Fun to set all of that stuff up and get it all squared away. I'm super jazzed uh, about all of that. And thanks again for participating in Max Fun Drive. I also am super excited about uh, Pod X, which of course is the last weekend of May slash first weekend of June in Nashville, May 31st through June 2nd, I believe. My podcast live episode will be that Friday afternoon. You can go to podx.com for the schedule. You can also go there for tickets. You can enter the code JV Club at checkout or just go to podx.com slash JV Club to get 10% off your tickets. I also have a couple of tickets to do with as I wish just to give away, just to give away to my pals who listen to the podcast. So if you think you might be able to make it and you're interested in coming, I want you to email me at Janet at JanetVarney.com. And uh, depending on how many interested parties there are, I'll either do like a little raffle or uh, we'll just figure it out. I'll get you, uh, I'll, I'll pick a couple of people to, uh, to come. Maybe just send me a little note telling me uh, why you want to come. <laughs> I really have clearly have not thought this out at all. Uh, so anyway, that's happening. I'm psyched about it. Please enjoy this episode. And let's all be glad that Jasper did not just ruin the entire episode with his very, very ferocious, playful barking as he tries to engage Whitley, who ignores him and ignores him and ignores him until finally she engages and goes absolutely nuts. I don't know how official it is. It's not like a notary came by and, <laughs> and stamped it. S- stamped a thing or two. Have you ever had to get something notarized? Yes. I think it was like, I can never remember. It's, it's like, and like anybody that works at a grocery store can notarize stuff. It's like, what? I don't understand why <laughs> it's official and, and why it's necessary. <laughs> yeah, I uh, somehow... I mean, this doesn't seem possible because I do feel that, you know, it is, a, to your point, a part of like some sort of bureaucratic nonsense where you sort of wonder like, really, is this, am I, are we really calling this like somehow more legit than other things in life? Yeah. But I have somehow avoided mostly having to ever get anything notarized. And the couple of times that I've had to do it, I've had the same thought. I really have thought like this feels like so many things just as if it's children pretending to be grown-ups. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You know? 
And I can't remember what it was for. It was like, I've done much more official things that didn't need to be notarized, but I feel like the things I had to get it done for was like, I don't know, maybe like getting a copy of like my marriage certificate or I don't even remember, maybe some tax stuff. I don't know. It's only happened like a couple of times and I don't really know why. <laughs> yeah. that What it is that triggered something that someone was like, listen, this is where we need that extra random person. <laughs> who has a stamp to get involved because this has got to hold up in the court. Exactly. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I don't know what, I mean, really, I did, this is not like a notary-centric podcast. Although, listen, this is fascinating to, enough topic <laughs> that it really, maybe we, you and I need to do a spinoff that's all about notary. Hours of content. Then we can drone on and on, which is about what that content probably merits. <laughs> Totally. Now, you and I, uh, for the listener, this is a real spoiler, are not in the same room together. No. Nor are we in the same city together, nor are we in the same state. But we are in the same country. Yes. If we have to have a notary public come in here and acknowledge and authorize that, in fact, we are both in the these United States, I will do so. <laughs> are you, you're in Texas? I am in Georgia. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, you're in Atlanta. Of course you are. Yeah. You know what? It's because the voiceover, there's so much voiceover that comes out of Texas because of like anime that, yeah. uh, that I, that I accidentally transplanted you into Texas temporarily. I apologize. No problem. They're very similar States. You know, there's lots of, it's in the South. They're conservative for the most part. There's, you know, lots lots of similarities. I mean, yes, but at the same time, having spent time in both states, I feel it is. It, it, it would be, as an outsider, it would be disrespectful to make that comparison because I because certainly there are things about Atlanta that I think Atlantans would be like, I'm going to slap you if you say <laughs> we're like Texas. And I would say deservedly so. Deservedly so. Uh, all due respect to the entire state of Texas, of which there are many wonderful enclaves um yes but 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 the reason of course that you and i that i didn't know exactly where you were is that you and i have met in person but strangely we actually met in new york city so where neither of us live where neither one of us live which is why things have gotten very confusing indeed uh <laughs> but you and i met because we were each we were uh guests on the ucb ascat show we were the monologists um that always sounds like it shouldn't really be a word and it's we're yeah. all getting away with something uh on the ascat show and so we didn't get to do a show together but we got to hang out backstage a little bit and yeah. uh that was a what feels like a very very long time ago and it was at that time that i said guess what i'd love to have you on the podcast somehow some way somehow that's right and i was so excited to meet you and then so excited to be invited and now we're actually doing it some six maybe six months later it had to have been last year i think it is i think that's about right and if i may how did your ascat show go oh it was great <laughs> it was great i'd never um monologized uh in front of a i'd, I'd done it in, in small shows at my home theater where i'm super comfortable but i'd never done it uh at UCB before. So I was, you know, a little nervous, but they're so incredible and the improvisers are so talented and the audiences are so much fun that I really had a fantastic time. How was your show? Uh, I loved it. I, I was not, I only knew, uh, peripherally a couple of the people who were improvising and uh i'm a little more familiar with the ucb performers in la although they're constantly changing out and stuff so that's not necessarily always true but there's usually you know a couple of people that i've worked with before played with before when i've done it and uh but i personally because you're a dad's garager yeah 
That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Which is such a great, um, it's such a great theater and, and it's, it has such a great rep and, uh, but uh, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I definitely have that feeling of the difference between playing as an improviser and doing monologues. And for those of you who aren't as familiar with the sort of Armando format, you know, Armando was named after a person in the improv world who originated this form. And it basically means that you're a person who is telling personal stories from your life triggered by, you know, perhaps a word from the audience. Right. So you're just speaking extemporaneously. And then the improvisers are, are doing scenes that spin off and are inspired by things that you've talked about in your life. And the scariest part of that tends to be, well, what if I misspeak or I say something that sounds so absurd but is normal to me that I then have to sit on stage and watch people essentially make fun of my life and experiences? <laughs> yeah. I think that's the sort of biggest fear. Uh, and so you really want to be doing it with a group that is, you know, thoughtful and compassionate and whatever they're poking fun at is ideally not something that you then feel humiliated by. Right. So there's, I think for me, there's that nervousness, especially with a group you don't know, but yeah. also just coming in and being that person versus being the improviser. Do you have that experience too? Absolutely. Because I'm so much more comfortable being an improviser than I am being a person that's talking to an audience about my real life. Um, cause I've just been doing it for so long. Like I, I always tell people that the place I'm most comfortable in the entire world is being on stage improvising like with my home theater just because I've done it so much and it's just like truly where I am my my most you my most um real self and so yeah it was pretty nerve-wracking because like you said I didn't want to I mean I definitely told some embarrassing stories because it's kind of like you want to give them some meat you know some meat to, exactly to, to go with and and make fun of your life a little bit but again you're you're right they were so skillful that it was like oh this this doesn't feel bad at all they're just poking fun at, at, at this story in the same way that I would or that I did when I told it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, and so do you have the experience of, of improv? I mean, I don't because we don't know each other. I'm curious um, not to dig too deep too fast. But for me, doing improv is it really is sort of zen and meditative just in the sense of how impossible it becomes to think about problems or project into the future like it requires so much focus and concentration that yeah I think like you know like playing sports for some people or taking naps or true meditation for other people where they're able to truly be in the moment I mean that is um for me I think that is kind of the place where that happens most organically. Is that, is that true for you as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I definitely feel like, you know, like there's the whole thing and this is a UCB thing. Uh, the like, don't think is like posted above, above yeah. the entrance to the stage. And it's kind of like, that's the last thing that the improvisers see before they hit the stage. And, and that is kind of your, your, you're not thinking as much as you're constantly thinking about every single thing that could be a reaction to what's happening in a scene. But I think, you know, for people that have been doing it a long time, it just becomes kind of second nature. And I'm actually a, a lot more comfortable improvising than I am doing scripted stuff because all I can think about when I'm doing scripted stuff is I'm going to fuck this up. I'm going to miss a cue. Everybody, <laughs> everybody's going to die because I've done something wrong. But in improv, you don't have that you don't have that at all. There's none of that. You can't mess it up. And it just is a lot more freeing to me. So it's actually harder for me to do scripted stuff, which I think for a lot of people that sounds crazy. But if you've gotten really used to doing improv, it, it makes sense. It does make sense. I, I, and I think, yeah, that's we're sort of circling around this, this idea that um, I think there is something about it for 
for whom it like for for, for people that it really really works for Mm -hmm. that it is kind of the perfect thing for the overthinker it's kind of the perfect thing for the overthinker because like you said you're sort of being given permission to have your brain working at 60 miles per hour but at the same time somehow you've also made the agreement to function on some level that is more innate or somehow is more instinctual all at the same time and that's the the permission to pull back and not be hard on yourself if you're an anxious person or if you are a really smart person but who tends to chew on stuff to the point of almost like giving yourself a brain hot spot for dog lovers out there (laughs) and cat lovers Uh, is that are you do you find yourself to be and 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 have you always been uh, if so like a kind of a self-critical kid like were you a person who was sort of hard on yourself or is that something that developed later on if it's true yeah I think that um, for me, I was like, uh, I was always a little awkward and, and not like some people, I think there are people that are like, that very much identify with being an awkward person. And and I don't so much that it was more that I was just like growing up. I, I was a weird kid. I was a different kid. And I, I, I needed to find a way to make friends because I wasn't like a sports kid and, and, uh, I wasn't like a, like a particularly attractive kids. Like I feel like attractive kids just have friends all of a sudden. And like, I wasn't that. (laughs) And so Uh I was like, I need to figure out how to make friends. And, um, I realized that by making people laugh or being stupid and like putting myself like in ridiculous situations that made people laugh, um, that was how I was able to, to make friends. And then I think that just carried throughout my life where I was like, Oh, okay. If I'm in a tough situation, I can just like crack a joke or be like, make myself, you know, kind of the butt of the joke a little bit. And that would, um, disarm people and make them comfortable around me. And then I think that just kind of parlayed itself into doing improv. And I didn't find, um, doing improv until I was, um, at, like in college. Like it's, I didn't start doing it when I was in high school. I mean, I did a little bit like in theater class, but, um, and then when I found that I was like, Oh, this is what I've been looking for my entire life that I just didn't know what it was yet. Sure. Well, you still beat me because I was not even, I don't think I was even in college anymore. I think I was post-college when I, <clears throat> when I, there was a lot of overlap because I was going to school part-time and working full-time for a right. lot of the, my latter college years. So I'm like, I can't, there's a real bleed over into had I was I done with school? Was I still like every once in a while taking a class? What was I doing? <laughs> but it but it was very much, you know, I certainly was over 20 years old when uh, when I kind of allowed myself. And to your point, like there was some play and some playfulness and some some warm ups and exercises that happened in theater classes. But I think for me, um, I identify a lot with what you're saying and I but but I think for me um improv was intimidating and and listeners to the show know this uh, I've said this before but it was intimidating because it was almost too perfect of Mm. a conjunction of things I loved and it was so terrifying that the possibility of being bad at it and I think I was one of those kids who like didn't allow myself to be spectacularly bad at something and then get better it was more of you know you have to the first time you try something you have to show some sort of competency that's a word right competency competence uh you have to show some kind of I should you know what I shouldn't talk anymore because I'm not good at it anyway uh (laughs) but uh you know, that I felt like I had to be good-ish at something or it just felt so rotten to be bad at something that I would run away from that feeling. Right. And so I think that was kind of this culmination of, you know, this anxiety about failing mixed with this desire to really 
be great at something like that. And so I kind of just avoided it <laughs> instead of not knowing, like at least you were sort of, you know, less aware of it. And, and when it came to you or when you discovered it, it felt like a fit rather than someone like me who's sort of, you know, circling it warily going, well, I don't know I, if this doesn't go well, I'm really going to hate myself. <laughs> right. It's like when you're like, should I date this guy that like is my best friend? Because if it doesn't go well, it's really going to be bad because then I don't date him and I also don't have him as a friend anymore. That is a brilliant comparison. That is a <laughs> wonderful metaphor. I never would have made that before. Um, I made that analogy and I'm very, very impressed. Bravo. Thank you. Thank In you. fact, bravissima. Oh, bravissima. thank you. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's so funny, isn't it? The the sort of way that defense mechanisms end up developing or, or protection or socializing mechanisms develop when we're younger, because, you know, it's it's almost like a chemical reaction, like the wrong elements, you know, you ended up being somebody who was self-effacing and sort of drew people to you, it sounds like, by mm -hmm. being, you know, funny and warm and being willing to make fun of yourself as well as, you know, just the environment or whatever. Whereas it's almost like if you just, if you had a couple of drops too much self-protection or defensiveness, you could have been the person who just teases other people. Right. And then, you know what I mean? And then suddenly that that balance is off and suddenly you're a bully or suddenly you're, you know, that you're using humor, but it's at other people's expense, even if the, the 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 foundation might still be, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm lonely. I want people to like me or whatever. It's totally. amazing how quickly, you know what I mean? Just these tiny little shifts end up defining like how you socialize with other people. Yeah. And I think for me, like I definitely d dipped my toe into that, like that bully zone. Cause I think as a kid, you're always trying to figure out like where the boundaries are and what's like acceptable. And I mm. think that I was like on the way to being a bully. And then somebody, it, I had great parents. So maybe it was my parents or it was a teacher or something that was like, wait a minute, I see what you're doing here and you're headed down the wrong path. So you got to pull it back. Um, because oh, I, interesting. yeah, I would, uh, you know, I think because kids want to fit in. And so I, I must've like seen somebody bullying another kid or it's probably because I was bullied. And I think that's a lot of times like where bullying comes from is like, if you get bullied yeah. then you're like, Oh, well, this is how I feel powerful is by bullying other kids. And so I definitely yeah. like tried it out to see if like, maybe this is something I want to do. And then luckily I had a, a, an adult be like, don't do this. You don't, you don't, you don't want to turn out like this. <laughs> Do you have a specific uh, memory or kind of do you, do you remember that uh, being addressed in, in that way? Or is it just sort of a sense of like a vague memory of, of that happening? I had like a I, I remember being like a real big like I was definitely like in charge and in, in with my like young friends that I was like in the neighborhood with. This wasn't in school. School is kind of different. But I grew up in a neighborhood. How, how old do you think you were? How old are we talking? I'm saying Ish. probably like seven or eight and yeah. uh, I had a friend in my neighborhood it was like my my closest friend and she was um a little quieter and a, a little bit more sensitive and I think that I was like okay I'm in charge here I'm the one that calls the shots and you do what I say and so that's I think where I was kind of like testing it out and um we ended up being friends for many many years and I think that um my it was probably my my mom and she was just like you can't you can't, you gotta be like, you gotta be nicer to her and let her make decisions too. And like share in, in life. It's not just all about what you want. Like I used to play a game with my friends. This is so funny. This is such a good indicator of like what I was when I was a kid. Um, I made up a game in my neighborhood, um, that we would play and it was called drill sergeant. 
where oh I, my god, where I would be the drill sergeant, and kids just had to do what I said. And it's like that's that's not a game, Amber. That's not a game anybody wants to play. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, that's amazing. First of all, I'm trying to remember when I had an understanding enough of what a drill sergeant was <laughs> that I would have come up with. Uh, now, do you have brothers and sisters? Where was this, by the way? Where where in these United this, States are we talking? This was in uh, the suburbs of Atlanta, where my parents uh, still live in Gwinnett County. So it's just like 30 minutes north of the city um, where where this took place. Okay. And, and, and then do you have uh, siblings? I do. I have an older sister. So she, and she's like uh-huh. seven, seven years older than me. So I wasn't ever like playing with her. And if I was, she'd be like, please leave me alone. You're seven years younger than mm-hmm. me and you irritate me. And you were like, where can I find a bunch of people that I can be in charge of? <laughs> exactly. So funny. <laughs> Uh, okay, so you're so here you are bossing everybody around, mm-hmm. and uh, and somebody steps in and says, "Guess what, guys? This is this is not how uh, anybody needs to behave, and yeah. um, maybe be a little more uh, magnanimous and yeah. democratic." Yeah, and it was kind of like that, you know. Uh, let's be assertive instead of being aggressive. Like I think that my my parents were good at like we don't want to squash this in you because we want you to be a leader and we want you to do all the things that are positive that are this thing that you're trying out, but we don't want you to do the negative side of it. Okay, we're gonna take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. It's Ali Kokesh, one of the cast members of Mission to Zix, a new addition to the Max Fun Network. We're blown away by the welcome we've received from Max Fun listeners, telling us you've discovered the show and are binging it hard, supporting us during the drive, and just being rad humans all around. Mission to Zix is an improvised, obsessively sound designed sci fi comedy epic following a group of ambassadors as they explore the ass end of space. I play Dar, the 12 foot tall omnisexual security officer with furry scales, chest talons, and a series of flaps and shoots that are for. Nah, you know what? You'll figure it out. We'd be delighted if you joined our crew aboard the aging sentient starship, the Bargerian Jade, as we travel the Zix Quadrant, meeting all sorts of weird aliens played by brilliant guest comedians. That's Mission to Zix, ZYXX. I still, to this day, have no idea why, but at some point in fourth, fifth, or sixth grade, I think it was fifth grade, just my small little group of friends just stopped talking to me. Oh, completely. no. That's and terrible. I had no idea what happened, nor do I feel anyone ever confronted me. It was like some sort of weird social game. And I was not, by any stretch of the imagination, the quote-unquote drill sergeant of the group. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... All of a sudden, I was just being completely ignored. And it is a powerful and frightening experience when you are, I mean, it's so strange, you know, it's, it's to just show up to this place that you have to go, you know, you, no matter what you're a power, when you're that little, you're not thinking, I mean, at least I wasn't, I, I'm sure there are kids who had it rougher, who would make the decision to like skip school, <laughs> but I definitely was not, it's not like you have a single class you can skip, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're there for the duration. And, you know, I, sh- I came to school and, and I just remember like, there was like three girls and they just, completely ignored me like I like to go up to talk to a child who's you know nine and say something and have them sort of 
blank face stare past you and just turn their back and walk away. Oh no. Was my first experience of that ever happening. And I just, or maybe my only experience. And it was, it, it was almost like being in the twilight zone. Right. And you know, then, you have no context for that. Yeah. And you're like, what did I do wrong? And I can only imagine that that like still is like one of those things where you have a nightmare now as an adult and you're like, oh my God, what did I do wrong? Why aren't they talking to me anymore? Like, cause you never knew, like there was no explanation, which is, that's the worst part because you're like, what did I do wrong? Did I do something wrong? Did I forget that I did something wrong? Oh yeah. And, and I, I'm sure I asked, you know, what did I, what did I do? What did I do? And, and whenever, whatever it was, if in fact it was anything real, I, it, it was never addressed I, that I remember. And now memory, of course, is extremely fallible. So it could be sure. that at some point one of them said, well, we just, you know, you laughed at something that we didn't think was, you know, you laughed when someone said something, one of us said something that and that hurt our feelings and we got angry or whatever it was. But I don't have a memory of that. I only have a memory of how it negatively affected me. And, wow. and then and then it just sort of ended. Then it was, you know, and and I think you're so nervous to 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 disrupt going back to the flow that I'm, I'm sure I just accepted that and moved on because I didn't want to, you know, you don't want to bring back up whatever the thing is that happened. Right. So it's this weird form of, of, of peer abuse, I guess, Wow. in some way, Being not to say sucks. that you were doing any of that. <laughs> I probably would have rather have been, you know, I got teased that, that, that all teased and bullied almost feels better in a way than just, you know, this sort of icy right. silence. Wow, that's terrible. Of, you know, am I here? Am I here? Um, uh, and so, and so, what was your, you know, what was your sort of high school experience like? Just to just to jump ahead a little bit, because you were in a smaller community, were you still there um, when you went to high school? Thus, having kind of brought with you a bunch of kids that you'd known since you were little. No, I actually kind of moved around. I'd, I'd been in the same place for a really long time, and then my dad. Um, bought a company. So we lived in Georgia my whole life. And then when, when I was, um, I guess I was like a 14, 15. Um, so I'd gone to school to high school for one year in Georgia. And then my dad bought a company in Southern California, like a small aircraft parts company. And he's like, we're moving to Southern California. And I was like, um, what? <laughs> like, I didn't think it was that cool at first. And my mom was definitely like, just a very Southern lady. She had never lived outside of Georgia. Um, mm. but we all went and it like being 15 and moving to, we actually lived in Glendale, moving to Glendale, California at 15 is pretty awesome. Like this was around like nine, nine Oh two one Oh days. Like it was, Oh hell yeah. Like the coolest thing to move to Southern California. So I ended up actually really enjoying living there. And, uh, so I kind of moved around. I went to three different high schools and then while I was in Glendale, um, the Northridge earthquake happened, which was a really big earthquake. <gasps> yeah. And my, it's a big one. <laughs> yeah. And so my mom was like, okay, I'm not putting all this stuff back on the walls. I'm putting it in boxes and we're moving back to Georgia. So we'd only been there for like two years. And um, oh, wow. we, my mom was like, we're moving back. And I was like, what? I have a really cool Peruvian boyfriend that's six years older than me. <laughs> Hello. Wait, how much older? He was six years older than me, which was like, my parents didn't know that. I actually didn't know that when we first started dating, he lied to me about his age. Wait, so how old were you and how old was he? I was 16 and he was 21. Oh, heavens. I know. Isn't that so scandalous? I mean, it, listen, it is scandalous, but I also very much, I mean... I was I was uh, these guys know I was I was going to 
like an all ages club when I was, you know, 13, oh. 14. And there just was, there was just this total, you know, nobody was paying attention to how old anyone was. And, right. and I'm so lucky that worse didn't happen to me because we were totally hanging out with like 22 year olds when we were 13. I know. I know. So many times I look back at my life and I'm like, I am so lucky that I'm alive, that I never I was abducted, like that I, that I, I know. came out unscathed. Like just the things you do when you're a kid, you're just like, oh my God, no wonder my parents were always freaking out about what was going on with me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also like, I don't even, you know, one of my parents was pretty amazing at choosing not to freak out. And I'm so afraid. I, I was so afraid for a long time. Like what if my dad listens to all these podcast episodes? He's going to have a, a heart attack post <laughs> you know, retroactive heart attack because he really had a lot of faith in me. And there were things he caught me doing, um, but they were certainly not, you know, the level that he could have caught, I guess, if he, you know, if he'd known that we were high and just like trusting some dude who was God knows how old to take us and let us crash at his house. Oh my God, I know. And like waking up and going, I don't know where I am. I mean, that is all bananas yeah. talk about a sense of you know immortality and just a general trust of you know well everyone's basically good and crazily enough as it happened that did turn out to be true for me but yeah. I like you said I, I feel very very lucky that uh, I wasn't that my naivete was not more punished yeah. <laughs> and proven wrong Ugh. you know okay so you had so you had a hot older boyfriend uh, who was peruvian i'm gonna go ahead and substitute hot for peruvian and Great. vice versa because Great. it sounded pretty fantastic yeah uh and and so and you were now what was your experience of the earthquake like just in terms of how it compared to your mom's kind of trauma because people did a lot of people left and yeah i was not of course i was you know not in california but people still talk about the northridge earthquake it was terrifying i think for me because i just lived in georgia my whole life i never experienced just how crazy it is to to be like, oh, the ground underneath me is, isn't solid. Like it's very, um, jarring. And the thing was, is it happened at the, at, I think it was like maybe May, like the end of May that it happened in, because it, I remember it being like finals time at school. And mm. so, um, we all left school, but we had to go back like the day because it happened really early in the morning, like before we all went to school that day. But they were like, we have to keep going back to school. And there were like fires happening like around, like because, you know, like gas lines Oof. were getting busted up. And like it was just kind of apocalyptic a little bit. And but yeah. we had to go back to school because they were like, we have to get back to regular life. But aftershocks were still happening. And what I didn't realize is that part of the way that they make buildings earthquake safe is that the buildings just like move around a bunch. Like they're on what they call rollers so that they don't like just break in half and fall over when there's an earthquake. So I remember being in my like physics class, taking my final and there oh, was an no. aftershock and the buildings just like oh. rambling around. It was crazy. Oh. It was really crazy. That, yeah. That surprises me. I almost feel like, I don't know. I wonder how I wonder if the reaction would be the same now when people are in general, perhaps more protective of children. And you know what I mean? There is sort of a more just to be safe like this. You know, kids aren't walking to school anymore, anything like that. I wonder if if that would be a situation. Well, I guess now it would probably be like, listen, we're going to try to salvage some of this via the Internet, perhaps, or something like that. Right. But I think it's it's kind of hard to imagine. Like 
it, it might have actually been safer for kids to be at school because they were in like a bigger more well-constructed building than like being at your house, mm. you know? Cause That's I remember like kids that Probably. lived in apartment buildings in my neighborhood, like not being able to get into their apartments and like people just like being out on the sidewalk. Like it was a crazy time. Oh, yeah. 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 And and it, and if it happens to you when you're in high school, again, probably because of what we were just talking about, with this sort of sense of the the the, the heaviness of that reality, while it might be surreal and scary, there maybe there isn't as much projecting into the future or or having as strong of a sense of mortality and and vulnerability as your parents would, you know, absolutely it's, it's on a, experiencing it on a whole different level for for them. Yeah. And for me too, there was a part, and I think this happens a lot of times when there's some kind of like tragedy or some kind of catastrophe. Like it, there was a bit of like the city that like the community coming together, like it was kind of fun, like in a weird way, because it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, people are displaced and everything's crazy. It's like when, like in Georgia, when we have like snow days, it's like, everybody's out like playing around and nobody's going to work or school. And so like there was a part of it that was like just kind of exhilarating and exciting because it was so different and new to me and people were just like banding together in, in a cool way. So that was also like very interesting for me to experience. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I've said this before and and I'm a little embarrassed by it, but having been somebody who's gone through, um, things that were very specific to me, you Mm -hmm. know, trials and tribulations or, you know, you know, mental illness kind of stuff um, and watched other people go through stuff like that. There, there is something to be said for a universal tragedy. And I am not in any way saying like, I guess we're all lucky that, you know, X, Y, Z happened to a bunch of people. Not at all. But I think there is, uh, you know, having, feeling less, like it's just happening to you and that you're alone in the world and you are forced to deal with it on your own because it's in your brain or it's your mom, you know, you've lost your mom and you're the only person you know who has lost your mom and who is affected in the way that you personally are affected. You know what I mean? So when something like that happens, there's a, that I think for people who have liked to be in control or again are very, you know, self-critical or, or anything like that, mm-hmm. um, when something happens and it happens to everyone at once and you can be a part of that and you can help other people and feel not alone in that way, um, it's, it's just different. It's just different. And there's, you know, as a social animal, right. I think there's something to be said for that, you know, and that coming together and Totally. It can be less, it can be less, far less lonely experience. Certainly. Absolutely. Uh, did you fight your, did you really put up a fight when, when your mom told you, listen, we're hightailing it out of here. Two years and one earthquake was enough for us. Oh yeah. Like, cause I, you know, I was like, you're ruining my life. Cause I was, you know, I was 15 and very, um, excitable <laughs> and, uh, you know, I <laughs> didn't want to be the kid that went to three different high schools and I wanted to be able to keep my friend group. And like, I had established such a, in my mind, uh, teenage mind, like such a cooler life in Southern California. And, um, yeah, I really put up a fight in my poor parents. Like they, um, I was like, and the biggest thing was my boyfriend. I was like, I can't leave him. We're in love. And, and, um, so my parents were like, he can come with us. And they, I think, (gasps) yeah, I think to this day, they're like, that's the worst decision we ever made. So he, but he didn't come. He did come. Oh my God. Yes. He moved back to Georgia with my family. Oh, this is amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he wow. worked. He worked with my dad because my dad because oh my God. He, we moved to California for him to buy this business, and then um, it wasn't. It, it also wasn't working out, and so the fact that we were moving home because of the earthquake was also. I think I didn't know at this time, but I think it had something to do with like things not working out with my dad's business too, and so he moved back to Georgia to do the same kind of work, and I think bought another small business here, and so my boyfriend came with, and because he was Peruvian, he spoke. Spanish. That was his first language. And so he like worked with my dad and like worked with Latin American companies. And so it was actually like, I think a pretty, pretty good fit. I mean, my dad still had to employ my boyfriend <laughs> and so he wasn't <laughs> happy about that, but it was such a weird, there thing. were like, some upsides. Yeah. We would all get up in the morning and get in the car together. My dad would take me to school and then take my boyfriend to work with him. Like what a weird situation so were you sleeping in the same room or was he okay yeah we were and my parents are are very conservative considering that this would happen I know that's a surprise but they're very conservative and and very Christian and so we were definitely in different bedrooms but you know we snuck around we were kids and so uh, and I'm sure they knew that was happening and I remember like my my, because he was 21 he didn't want to take me to homecoming because he's like that's a lame kid thing but he was dating a girl that was in high school so and I remember him and my mom having like this screaming like fight like in like all the neighbors heard them fighting because he didn't want to take me to homecoming <laughs> that is that is amazing and your sister because she was so much older than you she wasn't really in the picture I mean you were you were a basically an only child but well this point, she had uh, the another part of the fun story is that she when we moved to California she stayed in Georgia and got pregnant and didn't tell my parents about it until she was like seven months pregnant. And then she moved out to California and had the baby. And so she was like a single mom with a brand new baby. Oh. And so she was also working. I think my dad would take her to work too. Like it was just a crazy time. And she moved out, she moved back to Georgia with us. And then I think stayed, we were all living together for a little while. And then she went and got her own apartment and was just like, I'm out of here. This is like a cuckoo clock. I'm just going to go like live my own life with my, my kid. <laughs> I am. So, okay. Listen, I, there's so much I want to unpack. And yet I feel that I don't want to just totally occupy the entire com- rest of the conversation with Peruvian boyfriend. That being said, first of all, so he really was, he was English second language. And yeah. he, had he been in the States very long? I mean, it, it feels like that has to perhaps have something to do with his willingness to uproot and, and move with you. I mean, he, if he was, if, because, you know, when you're in a different place, um, it seems like you, your vulnerability level can drop down a few years. Right. You know what I mean? I could see him feeling like more vulnerable than like your average 21-year-old dude who right. probably maybe, maybe. And I'm, listen, all due respect to you, in no way am I saying you're not worth a move. I feel you must sure. be. But to be that person and, and to sort of be willing to, you know, to make that transition, yeah. I, I would imagine there were other elements of his life or his, you know, experiences that made that feel maybe like it was more doable than somebody yeah, else. and he hadn't been in the U.S. long. He and the reason I met him is because he he had a younger sister that was in school with me in California, and we met at like one of their like her, she had like a house party, and I met him there. Um, and so he, I think, because he was definitely a teenager in Peru, so I think that he had only been in the states for like maybe five years at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so crazy and so you guys got married and you're still very happily together (laughs) that's so funny I wish that was the case no actually but when we did break up he quickly married a woman after we broke up 
Well, he was clearly used yeah. to sort of living in a domestic environment with a Very family true. and, you Very know, true. understood what it was like to not be. It's not like he, you know, was in a bachelor pad <laughs> and, and you guys were dating and then he yeah. got married and suddenly his life changed. He sort of, <laughs> in fact, his family got smaller would be my guess. Yeah. Yeah. What an insane thing. I haven't thought about this in years, but it's very quite quite an interesting uh, story. <laughs> When you, so when you went back to, as you said, when you went back and you guys got into the big homecoming argument, mm-hmm. um, already, you know, you've had to, as, as you said, you know, you're, you're in high school in one place, then you move to Glendale, you sort of put down roots, it's, it feels cooler, you have an awareness of, I'm a California girl now, mm-hmm. you know, you meet this older guy, you're madly in love with him. And then when you go back to Georgia, the fact that you bring that huge part of your life with you, and yeah. he is, in fact, older than a high schooler, yeah. um, obviously homecoming was still important enough to you to want to go rather than you being so disconnected from high school that you were like, I'm too mature for all of this. Right. But what, how did that, because I would imagine that would kind of put another wedge for you in reestablishing a social life in Atlanta it, during the end part of, of high school if you always have this you know, relationship that's outside of that and, in fact, is waiting for you at home and all that kind of stuff. How did yeah. that affect how you reacclimated to Georgia? It was, well, it was crazy because then I was like the kid. Because, you know, at, just imagine like all the kids that were there before I came back. So then I'm the new kid that's coming back. So some people know me because I lived there before, but I'm kind of the new kid because I've been gone for two years. And I'm the junior that lives with her boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so like a real fast gal. And so people must have just been like, who is this person? And I honestly didn't make a lot of new friends. I just kind of reconnected with old friends that I'd been friends with, like in middle school before I left. And what what was your what were were there classes that you responded positively to that you sort of, you know, looked forward to in terms of going to school? and, And were you a good student overall? Yeah, I actually I wasn't a great student. I was kind of like always like a BC student. Um, I I had good enough grades that I was able to get into college and to get like a scholarship for my first year. Um, But I was always like, I I ended up going into psychology because that's what I thought that I wanted to do. I, well, I thought that I wanted to go into biology, but then I realized that it was way too hard and I wasn't like, I just wasn't smart enough to do it. And so I, I changed to psychology kind of halfway through, but I had a teacher in high school that, um, and I don't think a lot of kids end up taking like a psychology class in high school. I think it's kind of like an elective thing. At least it was back then. Yeah, it certainly wasn't uh, available to me. Yeah. And I took like one psychology class and I really, I really loved it. And the funny thing is that I always remember about this teacher is that her name was Terry Estes. And so her name tag, her name tag said T Estes on it. So all the kids made fun of her because her name <laughs> tag oh, said no. Testes. <laughs> Oh, no, that's a very unfortunate. First of all, it's very unfortunate that that's how they decided to make her name tag. Yeah. I mean, it feels like that's so arbitrary. It's such a it wouldn't have to be that. But Mm -hmm. I get and the the fact that they saw what it did and they still were like, (laughs) I don't know. Rules are rules. Here you go. Good luck being a teacher in high school, testes. (laughs) Oh, poor Teresa. I know. I know. Estes on its own is a perfectly uh, benign last name too. Yeah. So they really found a way to turn it into something yeah. awful. Yeah. Uh, and 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 what do you feel like you were responsible? First of all, I I gotta circle back and say there's no question you probably were absolutely smart enough to pursue biology, but there's just something about 
the high school brain that yeah. and especially, you know, I don't want to go off on a whole thing about girls and science and math and stuff, but I don't, I, I, I imagine that some of that may have been like accidentally socialized or, or cultural, you know, where you totally. sort of don't feel, don't feel incentivized to believe in yourself right. enough. Yeah. Um, and, and then you respond to something that's more a social science, you know, in terms of just, it's, it's, it involves emotion and the way the brain functions. And there's something very, you know, sort of more personal Mm -hmm. about the science of it. And, and, you know, interesting that you felt more compelled towards that almost in response to possibly this, this idea of this outside, you know, technical dissecting kind of science. Mm -hmm. I clearly also was not, I was not, I was not putting my whole heart into biology is the way I'm describing it as <laughs> right. a dissecty science. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, did you think that you would be a therapist? Like, did you kind of go or a psychiatrist? Did you go through projecting into the future that far? Or was it just, hey, here's a thing I like in the moment. If I continue to like it, I could figure out something to do with it. Yeah, I, I'd taken like a couple of um, little side classes in um, once I started college. And I was like, this is really interesting to me. And I really like it. It wasn't, it didn't feel like work when I was studying. And um, I didn't think I actually wanted to be a counselor. I wanted to to do research, I thought, but I think it's because mm-hmm. I wasn't, it makes sense to me now looking back that I would have done better doing counseling I because I'm more of a social person than I think I was giving myself credit for at the time. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that if I'd pursued, and I did actually get a job in counseling after college, but um, I wanted to be a researcher. And I'm not exactly sure why. I guess I just thought that it'd be, you know, I just wanted to kind of figure out what was go like I still am very interested in like when when humans go wrong like it's so fascinating to me like what's wrong with you know when things go really bad so I just kind of wanted to like dig into that and kind of do research in that area as opposed to be a counselor do you has that extended into dare I ask the uh true crime oh god yes yeah 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 I'm a big I'm a big I'm a big fan I'm right there with you. You've had some, there've been some great stuff out of, out of the Atlanta area. I mean, breakdown is, is obviously kind of a, I mean, for me, it's more podcasts. I don't watch, I, I associated true crime, um, up till podcasting, you know, and, and serial and some stuff actually before serial, but mm-hmm. that being obviously the one that sort of rocked the world, uh, mm-hmm. podcast wise, um, you know, the difference between like sort of a thoughtful, interesting NPR-ish kind of way of reporting on that stuff versus, you know, watching a television show about women who are killers. Yeah, like um, salacious. I was, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but w- has that always been true for you? You sort of ha- had your finger on the pulse or or like me, is it something that it, it started becoming available in a less gross way to where <laughs> to where and it was like, were more delivered directly to what you were into rather than having to like go seek out a true crime novel or something as a younger person. Yeah, I think that I don't even Yeah, it, the fact that it's more available today is definitely like I think why I'm um taking in more of it, but it's cuz back like when I was in college and when I was like first getting interested in all this stuff and like reading about serial killers and like, you know, um Uh, like true crime wasn't even like a term people used that often, you know, it wasn't like as everyday as it is today. Um, and so, yeah, I think before I just have to dig more, which everybody did for all kinds of content. Now everything's just so readily available to us. Um, but I do, I do really enjoy all, I like all of it. I like, I like the podcast. I like the television. I like the stuff that's like 
just a little bit trashier, but I also like the stuff that's not so trashy. Um, like I, one of the shows that they make here in Georgia uh, for investigation discovery is the show Swamp Murders, which it's just like, okay, oh it's just any murder, I guess, that happened around a body of water <laughs> is on Swamp Murders. And a really good friend of mine got cast in an episode and I was so excited and it's such a great episode. She's just incredible in it. Um, but I remember when they were first making the show, they were looking for the voice of the show. Um, and so I got a voiceover audition to audition for the voice of Swamp Murders and they wanted like a Southern voice. And I was so excited. And, um, I didn't get the role, but the woman that they went with is so incredibly perfect that I can't imagine having, having done it. But I was like, man, if I could be the voice of swamp murders, <laughs> I'm so now I have to, now I have to watch it so I can hear what the perfect, uh, Southern female yeah. narrator of she's swamp great. Murders and she's like. a little bit older. She kind of has like yeah. a Blanche Devereaux feel to her voice. It's she's mm, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, is it slightly gossipy? Yes. Yes. Very much so. Uh huh. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, okay, this is all very good information for me to have because, of course, um, we're getting we're closing in on playing our mash game, and uh, oh. and I'm getting a sense of maybe some fun categories. But very um, exciting. But uh, what were you? What did you take with you? Um, passions like teenagers sometimes have for you know movie types of movies or music or a certain style of clothes you know a way you dressed and did you carry that with you in your in these kind of transformative periods of uh moving from place to place in in high school or moving back and forth as it were uh or or did you or did you kind of take those opportunities to start fresh like oh then I got when I moved to Southern California I started dressing like this and I got into this band because you know this new friend of mine liked that what was that like Totally. Well, the the biggest one was definitely moving from Georgia to California at such a uh, you know age where you don't want to be different at all. And so I just and people were like, people in Southern California were like, oh my God, you're from Georgia. Like, did you guys have power at your house? And I'm like, yeah. Like I didn't. <laughs> oh, no. Like I just came from. Do Georgia. you know what shoes feel like? How do you <laughs> yes. like shoes? And I was like, it's the '90s, guys. Like, yes, we have yeah. power in Georgia. That people just didn't know. It was like such a faraway place to them. And so one of the things that happened almost immediately, and I think I was young enough to make it work, is that I completely was like, I no longer have a Southern accent. Period. I don't say y'all. Mm. I don't. And my mom and my sister both still speak with a Southern accent. And so like when I'm at home, I kind of like fall into it a little bit more. If it's like I'm on the phone sure. with my sister or something. But it was one of those things where I was like, I have to be like everybody else. So I dress like everybody else. And kind of at the time, especially in Southern California, um, in the like early nineties, it was like bigger, like kind of baggy pants and like, like baby doll t-shirts, you know, like, like Mm, skinny t-shirts and like a belt and some Doc Martens. So, um, yeah, I definitely was like, yep, that's how I dress now. And then when I went back to Georgia, I think that I kind of brought that with me a little bit because it was cooler to be coming from California to Georgia than going from Georgia to California. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I brought that with me a little bit. And now I think, too, when I travel, because, you know, I live in Georgia, but I, I, I'm in L.A. all the time for work and stuff. And I definitely feel like as an adult, when there's definitely like, oh, that person, there's a Georgia feel to people. And so even though we're, we're, it's, it's more, um, it's more of a a city thing than it used to be. People used to think that we were totally yokels and now Atlanta's like, you know, a well-known big city. Um, but there's definitely a vibe to the way people look and dress. And, um, 
that is different. And I can't exactly put my finger on it, but I always find it interesting when I'm when I'm back home after being in California for a while. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Hi, I am Lori Kilmartin. And I'm Jackie Cashin. Together, we host a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show. Uh, we're both stand up comics. We recently met each other because women weren't allowed to work together on the road or in gigs for a long, long time. And so our friendship has been unfolding on this podcast for a couple of years. Jackie constantly works the road. I write for Conan and then I work the road in between. We do a lot of stand-up comedy. And so we celebrate stand-up and yes. we also bitch about it. We keep it to an hour. We don't have any guests. We somehow find enough to talk about every single week. So find us. You can subscribe to The Jackie and Lori Show at MaximumFun.com org or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, bye. Do you ever have a conversation with your like 17-year-old self? Like, could you have ever imagined that Atlanta and Hollywood would end up being so closely tied to one another? No, it's crazy. <laughs> As somebody who who's lived in both places and who sort of at the time, you know, experienced going back to Atlanta as this sort of removal from all of that yeah and then, you know here you here you end up in the city that is basically you know uh, los angeles too which yeah. it's not i mean it's its own it's its own amazing wonderful special city and there are so many things about it that many of us who have lived there for p small p periods of time you know prefer to los right. angeles in certain ways um but you know the the thing that i always it's funny. It's one of those things that stands out to me is um, just the amount of like color and florals that mm -hmm. women tend to wear <laughs> across all cultures. When I, I, do, I, I don't realize that there's a lack of that in Los Angeles and in San Francisco, where I also spend time um, until I'm in Atlanta. And then all of a sudden I'm in Atlanta, I'm like, oh, my gosh, everyone is wearing these bright, beautiful patterns. Yeah. Like everyone that looks like people are spending a little more like they're put a little more thought into what they're wearing and I am a total schlub so LA is perfect for me but <laughs> uh but I I always I always feel like there's more kind of um just diversity even in the colors that people wear yeah it's uh, like that's such a southern thing like a southern a southern lady that knows how to wear pattern and color is like now now that now that lady is classy you know what I mean that's great and I just great. also think in in Atlanta there's still a feeling or in the south at least there's still a feeling of like your Sunday clothes, you know, like your I'm going and, and like I'm going to the theater or I'm going out or I'm going to a nice dinner. Like there's still it's not like it used to be, but I still feel like that's preserved a little bit more in the South than it than it is like in L.A. Or, or New York or other parts of the country. I agree. Um, actually, I'm going to use that as my first mash category. OK, I, this this sounds like this sounds like something I personally would benefit from. And if I can make the mash game about me and my personal benefits, it's all the better. <laughs> Great. All the better. So, Amber, for you, my first question is, uh, let's take three either very specific places or just kind of things about Georgia that you can 
sort of carry with you and bring to Los Angeles for your benefit and for others? Like if there's a great place to eat that you sort of wish, oh man, if I could duplicate that and drop it right into Los Angeles. But it could also be, to, you know, kind of to your point, uh, more of a way of life or a perspective on things. It could be small or big. Okay. Uh, but you're bringing something from Atlanta over to Los Angeles. Okay. Number one is the most important in my opinion. It's a place called the Claremont Lounge. It is a strip club um, that a lot of people say is kind of like, it could be called like a place where strippers um, maybe finish up their stripper lives. Like maybe it's like a retirement home for strippers. There's lots of, you know, Amazing. more mature ladies that, that work there. It's an incredible place. You can still smoke inside. It's carpeted. Like it is a, it's a seedy place. The bar, <laughs> the bar is like so, it's been so repaired so many times that I think it's mainly made out of like duct tape. It's a wonderful oh my place. God. So that's number okay, one. Okay, wonderful. Wonderful. Claremont Lounge. Claremont Lounge. Got it. Uh, number two would honestly be like um, just like the, the nature, like it, Georgia is such a green place. Like when you mm -hmm. fly into Atlanta, you're like, I, is the city in here? Like, it's just so forested and so beautiful. So maybe like, yes, just like, like summertime in the pine trees at night with the crickets. Can that be a thing? Uh, I love it. My okay. only request is, and this is up to you and you don't have to answer right now. If we could go ahead and have all of that, but somehow not have the humidity, that would also be a you got it. gift. You got it. Because then your oh, hair is always going to be better evening. too. Oh man, that, that, that moisture being a person from the West oh. coast, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I, everything about it takes me so long to adjust to, cause I feel like I'm breathing underwater. Yeah. Uh, okay. Number three, love these. Um, number three is, let's see, I'm going to say, um, it's actually a place that I have plans to go to tonight. It's called the colonnade. It is a, um, Old, I mean, it's been around probably since the 20s. It's a an establishment. It's a restaurant. Um, it's Southern food. Most of the people that work there are older gay men, like maybe in their 60s plus. Um, and they still wear like buttoned up white starched, like almost like chef's jackets and black pants. It's And everybody like oh. gets like, you know, they put on their good clothes to go there. But most of the people that go there are old like pretty old <laughs> delightful delightful another place that I, I think is you really paint a picture <laughs> yeah you really paint a picture and it sounds these are places that i clearly need to uh <laughs> need to check out the next time in atlanta um okay next category let's do uh let's do three <laughs> let's do three things from the past uh, from your personal past, something that you experienced that um, for whatever reason just aren't a part of our day to day anymore, um, but that whether it makes sense or not, you can sort of reintroduce as uh, as a part of your life. Oh, um, like what? Like, give me an example. I mean, well, I'm kind of thinking about the the baggy pants and the baby the okay. baby doll shirts and the and the the Doc Martens, and I think there's I think for me certain elements of of style I miss, and obviously many of them I'm very happy to have moved on from. But also like I, I don't know for me, for example, like I, I, there's no reason I can't do this other than that you know my life just looks very different. But like mm -hmm. for example, I might bring back 
just more general driving in the car, listening to music with friends kind okay. of, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. with, with like something like that, where it's like, that's not really a part of my life anymore. And it doesn't have to be, but if I could have some extra time, yeah. it was just dedicated to that and it give me, and have it give me the same feeling as I had back then. Yeah. I totally get what it's you're going. Just something like that. Yeah. Um, or like, or for example, if you ate hamburgers every day and, you know, and like that was just a part, like for me, it's like, oh, I I can't have the um, Sunday bar every day. Yeah. Uh, like for some reason I did, you know, just some element of high school that you sort of carries with you that, that doesn't have any of the negative ramifications it might in your life now. Great. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is um, listening to Coast to Coast with Art Bell which was like, do, do you know this? Do you know this coast to coast with our yes. bell? Okay, great. Yeah. Great. So that's number one. Like, cause that, when you were talking great. about like driving in the car, like windows down, like listening to that on the radio, like driving, I don't know where I was driving from, but obviously I would go on long drives at nighttime. Listening yes, to coast this is to what coast I'm saying. Bell. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Number two. Um, I don't know why, but this comes to mind. Cause I don't necessarily think I would want it back, but I remember having fond memories of, I had like this little, clear plastic like purple clear plastic pager that my boyfriend gave me <laughs> oh my god amazing um so that and oh this is great <laughs> listen your answers are so much better I've never done this category before that I can remember and your 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 answers are so good now I'm like this needs to become a new Ooh. category on the reg <laughs> um and the other thing that comes to mind and I think it's because it's like springtime and I'm thinking about it is um is it Easter candy that I don't know what it's called, but it was basically like a hard candy shell egg that had like mallow in the middle. Uh And and like Mm -hmm. it was almost Mm -hmm. like a circus peanut in the middle, but softer. Oh, man. But it's not but it's not like a Cadbury egg. No, like a hard full on full on hard candy shell, like a colorful candy shell with like white soft middle. Yeah. Mallow. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. Which basically, it sounds like that might have most successfully mirrored what an actual egg's consistency is. Right, right. But with a different flavor. But they really nailed it. Uh, Fantastic. Okay, uh, let's move on to three uh, places that are not real or practical for some reason. And I don't mean like, oh, Tokyo's impractical because it takes a long time to get there. I mean like living under the sea is impractical. Okay. Uh, three places or totally fictitious places like Hogwarts or, you know, the Shire or whatever okay. that you would like to have a vacation home. Oh, my God. Um, I I mean, you said Hogwarts and that is totally one of them. Um, yeah. Let's get it on there. Let's get it on there. Just go for it. Um, <laughs> another one would be... Um, I was always fascinated by the lost city of Atlantis when I was a child. Oh, totally, dude. Yeah. And then um, I've always wanted the um, the castle at Disneyland, like the that you see when you first walk in, to be a place that you yeah. could stay. Like you could get a hotel room in the in the up top part. So we'll go with that. Okay. First of all, I got to tell you a couple things. Okay. Number one, agreed, and very recently. I had a conversation on the podcast about wishing that Sleeping Beauty's castle was much more what I thought it would be as a child, which was a giant looming castle Mm -hmm. that you could go into and somehow just get lost in and totally forget that you were even at Disneyland. So I a thousand percent agree. Second of all, unless I'm mistaken, at least in the one in Florida, you can stay there. You can? 
And the only reason I know that, I don't know how rich and famous you have to be or what kind of hookup you have to have, but I am 99.99% positive that Neil Patrick Harris has spent the night (laughs) in a special bedroom in Florida's Disney World that is in that castle. I will double check for you. I will ask him, but I am pretty positive that there is like a suite there that you can rent out and stay in. I love that information. So let's hashtag bucket list. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Great. Sleeping Beauty's castle. Love it. All right. Listen, it is a mash game. Let's get right into the romance of it all. Okay. Three individuals. uh, They can be real people. They can be fictitious characters. They can be characters that real people have played uh, from any age, any era. They can be cartoons. I I say it's limitless. It's totally up to you. Okay. Three people. Number one, um, my husband knows this. My number one uh, guy that I'm allowed to have sex with if I encounter him is Sam Rockwell. He is my absolute favorite. The best. I love him so much. That's a good Southern boy, right? Yeah, right. Right. Um, Got that glimmer in his eye. My big crush when I was a kid was um, not Corey Feldman, the other Corey. Corey Haim. (gasps) Corey Haim. Haim. What a little boy face. I know. I just loved him. And then uh, the other other person or peoples that I always had posters of in my room growing up when I was in middle school was a band that nobody remembers because they weren't that, that famous. They were called Trickster, and they were like that. A, does sound familiar, <laughs> yeah, though. Yeah. So th- the entirety of the band Trickster can that be my third? <laughs> How incredibly greedy! I love it. I absolutely love it. Oh, uh, okay, Trickster. That makes me very happy. Uh, okay, next category. Let's do three uh, foods or substances, beverages, whatever you pick. Um, that in this reality, uh, you can't have in excess for whatever reason, whether it's an ethical uh, decision or you have an allergy to it, or you know, just just uh, too much of a good thing will make you sick. In this alternate reality. Uh, these things are not only not bad for you, but in fact are like good for you. Oh, great. Number one is wine, white wine in particular. Great. I can have as much of it as I want. Um, number two, That's right. um, pizza. Yes, ma'am. And number three, um, I'm going to go, <laughs> this is odd, but I'm going to go with vegetable samosas. Oh, sure. Yeah. Delicious. Anything that is that technically falls into the fried category yeah. uh, probably would be nice to have on this list when all mm-hmm. said and done. Uh, beautiful. Okay, let's do three movies that you can jump into. You are not uh, reliving the plot. You don't have to be a character in the movie. It's just that kind of world that you can go in and just hang out in whatever you need and escape. Ooh, um, I would say um, bed knobs and Broomsticks. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, to keep with that theme, Watcher in the Woods. <gasps> one of my favorites as a oh, kid. Oh, my God. <laughs> no one remembers this movie. I, know. I don't know if I've brought I'm sure I've brought it up on the podcast before, but no one ever talks about yeah. that movie. It wasn't one of the popular ones, but it was my favorite one, and it scared me so much, I and I loved it. I watched it over and over and over Oh, yeah. we got to have a watching party the next Ooh, time you're in L.A. That'd be really fun. That'd be really I fun. I don't even know if you can get it. I think it might be. I think there's a version of it on YouTube. 
that I tried to show someone and I'm, and, and it's so bad. You know what I mean? It's so choppy and crackly yeah. and like, it's such a non thing. Yeah. We're going to have to get our hands on a pristine copy of it because well, agreed and the little girl, a thousand percent. The little girl, which I didn't realize is like one of the like real housewives or something like, what's her name? Like, um, Richards, Kyle Richards. What's her name? Kyle. Oh my God. Yeah. I that's had, like, oh my God. Yeah. I just oh. realized that she's one of the. Like Real Housewives or something. And there's like two of them. They're oh, sisters. I don't know about Lord. all those people, but yeah. And that's crazy. Yeah. Okay. That blew my mind. That that's almost <laughs> disappointing because I I've you never see any of those actors anymore. And of course Betty Davis, everyone knows, but like that version of Betty Davis feels like a totally different Betty yes. Davis. So yes. the, it, it in in my mind, that movie, those people are real people, and that's just a real yeah. thing that happens. So yeah. it's blowing my mind right now that that little actress uh could be a, a, a housewife. I'm totally blown away. <laughs> I know. Uh Watcher in the Woods, I I applaud this choice. I'm very excited. I hope that you get it for both our sakes. Yeah. Uh, what is Me your too. third? Uh, my third would be, um, I'm going to go with uh, Mary Poppins. Wonderful. Mary Poppins. These are great. Um, wonderful. Yeah, I love that these are like magical worlds within these within these movies. That's fantastic. Okay. Um, also, why can't we visit another dimension, even if it's scary? Um, right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> next category, let's do three... Um, Let's do three people or characters from from books or from history. Let's do three characters from books or from history, uh, so fictitious from books or historically real, that you uh, have as a sort of like mentor slash buddy. Okay. Um, this is going to seem weird because it seems like a negative person, but um, it's Ebenezer Scrooge. Great. Because he has a real turn in the end, you know. Um Let's see. Um, oh, Kermit the Frog. Oh, great. And, um, oh, Helen Keller. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing. I was just imagining you guys communicating, and it, it tickled me in, right? a, in a fond type way, not in a <laughs> make fun of type way. Uh, and then let's do this one. This is a, a favorite of mine. Uh, I hope you'll find use for it. Um, this is uh, an additional room uh, in your house that doesn't really add to the square footage. It's almost like the room of requirement or whatever in Harry Potter where we don't really understand where it exists. Maybe it's another dimension, but uh, but you can go into it. So size is not an issue. Uh, it could be tiny. It can be huge. Um, and it's it's this room that gives you this additional element to your home. Three different things that uh, you might have in a room like that, like oh. types of rooms. Okay. Um, I'd have a room that was like a um, like a diner, like a preserved like 1950s diner. Amazing. Um, definitely a CD strip club. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, oh, like a, um, like some kind of place where I could like, drive like fast go-karts <laughs> oh wonderful wow track yeah that's the kind of thing that would be interesting to have immediate access to because you really have to like amp up to go take a trip to a go-kart place yeah and there's nothing particularly close in LA. Right. You sort of have to, you have to go like, I'm ready to be in the car for an hour. So it right. really has to feel worth it. But this way you could just do it in between. Anytime you want. Like meals. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you, you know how MASH works, right? I just have to yeah. establish a quick uh, kind of a number. So I'm just going to do a little swizzle uh, uh, within a couple of seconds. Just tell me when to stop. Ready? Okay. Go. Stop. 
Okay, great. Uh, I am going to uh, do some quick eeny meenies. Okay. While I do that, uh, I hate to put you on the spot, but I, I find it easier not to have to pause the track because okay. that's just like one less thing for our wonderful producer, Julian, to have to sync. Um, okay. Will you tell people uh, sort of where they can find you and what you're up yeah. to and all that kind of good stuff? Sure. Okay, great. Okay. So um, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, both at Amber C. Nash. I don't really go on to Facebook. Um, Instagram is probably my favorite, but I have more Great. followers on Twitter. Uh, same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm always at Dad's Garage in Atlanta on the weekends. If you're ever in Atlanta, come check us out. And uh, dadsgarage.com, uh, we have Dad's Garage TV where you can watch online content as well. And Archer. I don't think I knew 10. about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. There's all kinds of stuff. People, Lots of people from our company are in videos. Um, but Lucky, who's also an Archer, and I are both in a lot of them too. And Archer's coming back in the spring sometime soon for season 10. And what season did you say it was? 10. I mean... How fucking amazing is I know. that? I know. It's crazy. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, and, and it's such a wonderful, beloved show. It's so, it's so great. Uh, with great fans, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I have your results. I say that like I'm a doctor who made a diagnosis. Wow. Uh, and, and by the way, I want to say I have not had the notary come in yet to okay. um, notarize this, right. but I will do so post haste so that it becomes great. for sure 100% guaranteed and real. Great. I like this because it, it sort of does make a, a, a type of sense, which is that rather than getting a mansion, a shack, or a house, you in fact have an apartment at Hogwarts. Now, oh my God. Can we God. agree that that's the one that makes the most sense? Yes. Like you're not going to have a house within Hogwarts, you're right. going to have an apartment inside Hogwarts amazing so uh congratulations on that it comes with all the magic you would imagine um so I think that worked out great I feel that that is the kind of place that is not going to throw off your Ebenezer Scrooge so he's seen it all so he's he kind of has like if you told me that Ebenezer Scrooge was a secret wizard I guess I wouldn't be that surprised makes perfect sense yeah right so you got your buddy Ebenezer yeah um, the, the person that I think is going to be fun and strange to see there, and I can't wait to see how this all works out is your alternate universe husband, Sam Rockwell. <laughs> That's great. I look forward to his take on all of that. Um, when you would like another fantastic world to pop into, I, while I am bitterly disappointed that you didn't get Watcher in the Woods. I am excited for you that you got Mary Poppins because being able to laugh so hard that you float into the air is maybe one of my biggest fantasies. Right. Uh, It's fantastic. So I'm very glad I'm going to have to come visit you inside of Mary Poppins. Mm -hmm. That sounds weird. Um, I I am also very delighted that uh, what you have brought to Los Angeles with you is the colonnade. Ooh. Uh, that is it the colonnade or the colonnade colonnade okay great uh so the colonnade is is available those crisp white co- coats and and um adorable aging gay men mm-hmm. uh, sounds like it's right up my alley so i'm very excited that you have bestowed that gift upon la both for yourself and for <laughs> other people yes uh where by the way any of these places any of these places you can have unlimited amounts of white wine with zero negative ramifications perfect uh i guess negative ramifications might be an unnecessary uh, superfluous (laughs) thing to say um and then uh that also of course not the least of which uh includes the 50s diner that you have somehow magically tucked inside your current existing house in georgia 
Uh, and uh, you are doing so much traveling all over these magical places. I want you to rest assured no one is ever going to have trouble getting a hold of you because they always can just page you oh. on your little clear purple pager. It's back. Great. And it is of absolute use in this crazy it might be the only magical thing that uh makes you reachable across all of right. these places and 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 magical times and i believe my friend that sums up your not yet notarized yet 100 percent guaranteed mash future that is so perfect uh <laughs> i want to thank you so much for doing the podcast i'm so glad we made it happen i hope that it does not uh happen in place of me getting to hang out with you uh when you come to la but uh but in the interim i uh i thank you and i guys will uh talk to you guys next time on the podcast yay thank you i had so much fun yay yay bye The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.